Chapter Nine of An Idler in the Wilds by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The February Summer. Old time chroniclers of nature and many of the latter day panegyrists of the Mary Howitt school have familiarized us with at least one delusive metaphor in regard to the change of the seasons. The life of the year is pictured to us as a tide, gradually attaining its apogee of growth and colour and music at midsummer, and as gradually declining to ultimate desolation in winter's fell conspiracy of frost and storm. But the true country dweller, student of the open air, living his life through day by day at the great authentic heart of things, has long cast aside a figure which he knows to be as trite as it is fallacious. It is true that nature never calls her crucible. She is forever secretly preparing, steadily harking forward to changes as yet little evident superficially, but the actual transformation from one season to another is instant, the work of one brief day, often of a single hour. With the first frost of late September, summer changes into autumn at a stroke. One night of the northern blast, after long still weeks of flaming autumn weather, and every branch is bare in wood and hedgerow the hilltop white against a drab careering sky, a rimy cerecloth shrouding everything. At one stride, winter has trodden out the last bright vestige of the dying year under its ruthless solarette of steel, and spring makes its first breach in the icy winter ramparts with the same abrupt inconsequence. For weeks the frost has held, still breathless weeks, when all the brooks are silent, every sound of husbandry gone from the deserted fields, and strange, shy, hunger-driven birds forsake their immemorial solitudes and haunt the village homesteads, disputing with the starlings and the sparrows for a crust. Days of impotent sunshine level and low and colourless, with the stealthy gold of evening but a moment's herald of the dark, and long nights when a real death-like silence lowers over vale and upland, and the very stars seem frozen solidly into the black canopy of the sky. And then there comes a day in February, when it is suddenly borne in upon you, that the pitiless iron-bound season has reached its close at last. The air is seemingly as cold and still as ever, though the blue-grey sky and pallid sunshine are gone. Now a white mist hovers everywhere, slowly gathering on twig and branch and stem, until all is hidden under the same wraith-like mystery. But through the phantom air, a peal of merry thrush music rings out incessantly far and wide. 
little red-brown wrens are scudding in the dim hedgerow stopping now and then to pour out their slender silver song robins unseen mark the shadowy thorn breaks with sudden trills and cadences glad or woeful just as the changing mood besets them high above a cawing and dawing goes by invisibly faint at first now waxing loud and clamorous then fading away once more as the rooks sweep onward to the distant upland for a moment a cloud of finches darkens the mist about your head the sound of their wings is muffled thunder their twittering babel drowning every other note just for an instant they are here and then like the deep organ music of the rooks their jingling chorus fails they are gone into the white wonder of the morning and far and near the thrush's song breaks out again more joyously more insistently than ever and now high above in the invisible wood-top there comes a strange new note so soft that the ear can hardly detect it and yet indescribably sweet and pure like an aeolian harp it sounds once twice it dies away then is back again this time with an import not to be confounded poets old and new have sung to us of the voice of spring and we have accepted the idea as a pretty motive for rhyming or at least are willing to meet out to it indulgence due to an old acquaintanceship but here in sober earnest is the very thing the most prosaic could attach no other name to this rich jubilant sound of the young west wind alive once more in the treetops after the long enduring rain of the frost and with the glad new voice a stir comes in the heart of everything a sudden breath fans warm upon the cheek with every moment the breeze overhead freshens and quickens the dense mist grows lighter and you begin to see that it was no deep ocean of white but only the merest coverlet spread low upon the earth above all the time there was the blue sky and the clear untrammelled light of the young spring day faster and faster the mist dissolves loosened by the first strong sunbeams the hoar-frost begins to fall from the tops of the trees in tinkling gusts of sound the mist rolls away over the wood-top now the sunshine breaks through in shafts of rich hot amber underfoot the frost melts everywhere the grass by the wayside flashes gold and turquoise and crimson as the pale rime melts into iridescent glitter of dew hard by the brook is singing its old old carol of the year's awakening it is as though 
riding the warm avonian breeze spring has leapt a whole continent in a single hour her glad laugh ripples now through every covert where but yesternight winter lay gripping the earth as with the grip of dead hands never to be loosed an old reflection and no doubt a true one on much of the writings of the so-called poet naturalists towards the end of the nineteenth century was that they were too much given over to a kind of emotional exaggeration labelled by one keen yet kindly mentor as purple patching the phrase went round the coteries of the time did its work for a space then disappeared for ever beyond the journalistic horizon but the half-truth it stood for remains to-day with certain natures long sojourning amidst the wild life of field and woodland has an almost intoxicating influence literary judgment the sense of proportion management of rhythm and refrain even the very meaning of the words themselves become confused and lost and all the reader gets is a crazed kaleidoscopic view of broken bits of colour a jumble of sounds each in itself potential of music but collectively of no more worth than the crackle of thorns aflare under the pot the truth is that to a nature lover who would be writer as well a sure integrity a rigid reserve of language is an absolutely vital thing in nothing is the limitation of his material brought so fairly home to him as when a craftsman in words sets about the task of bringing the rich radiance of a summer's day or the still harmony of a starry night in springtime within the limits of a printed page loaded line after line of detail cataloguing as the old jefferesian critics called it will give a sense only of oppression and bewildering complexity the pageant of a june morning is all buoyant loveliness blossom and song and glad green leaves afloat on a river of light the starlit nights of april are pure tranquillity done in silver point the heavy touch of the detailist is as disturbing here as taurine invasion of a china store and panegyry bolting towards the upper skies with the bright bit between its teeth leads only where few may follow the pace is too swift and arduous a floundering fathom or two and the guide is lost to sight in the pathless azure mere earthly pinions cannot outstay so unreasonably celestial a flight the words coruscate and glow upon the page but colour clashes with colour and sound with sound their very prodigality defeats the writer's intention and what was proposed as a munificent gift ends as a scanty dole of which penury itself 
might be ashamed and yet if any picture is to be given of these first virgin hours of english springtime the february summer as richard jeffreys loved to call it words and words alone must avail a hundred canvases would not be enough to show all the rousing beauty of this one myriad faceted day the mist is gone from the woodland all but a tender violet haze that yet dwells lingeringly in the deeper shadows out in the clearing on the southern slope of the hill the morning sun has already a power and warmth that sends the blood tingling merrily through the veins everywhere the soft breeze harps in the thicket with a note that is sheer light-hearted gaiety the air above is full of a dim wandering wayward music just as if each sunbeam were singing as it fell underfoot in the new green growth of february the vanguard of the year's blossom shows bravely through the sheltering bents pale sulphur of the earliest primroses tiny purple banners of violet bold bright eyes of celandine flashing under every older stem here and there the colt's foot rears a sheaf of golden tassels and a few of the more adventurous of the hive bees are out in the hazels dallying with the pale green catkins that slant all one way upon the breeze down in the water meadows the cattle are basking in the generous light just as if summer were really upon them the river beyond has its old bright summer breadth of mirrored sunbeams where now and again the little coot half swimming half flying cuts a dark trace over the water and a kingfisher gleams like a star of blue-green tinsel as he basks on the stump of osier deep in the grey reed stems it was all here yesterday hidden under the dour rhyme curtain of those last strenuous winter days only the touch of warm west wind was lacking and now though frost and snow may return for a little space spring has made his first real foothold sure ere he girds up to overrun the world End of chapter nine